let's <sighs> get down to business. To defeat the witch. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss each chapter of the Chronicles of Narnia in some kind of order. Today we'll be talking about chapter 7 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this chapter is titled A Day with the Beavers. Uh, I am here with my co-host, Chris, an honorary member of the Underground Beaver Railroad. Really? And I'm Kristen. I am a tree. Which side are you on? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I would. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're really working on that radio voice. It's, it's coming through. Uh, you're doing good things over there. Sorry. Um, hi. Uh, there's nothing to be sorry for. I'm liking it. Okay. You're doing a good job. Okay. Complimenting you. Okay. It was never my intention to form a radio voice. Oh, okay. Well, you have one now. Congratulations. <laughs> um, anyway, so welcome to Chapter 7. We're doing, what is it called? I already said that. Okay. Why weren't you paying attention? We're, we're hanging out with the beavers. Uh, a day with the beavers. A full, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a day. They really just have dinner, but we'll get to that. Um, so do you want to jump into this? Uh, I feel like there's a few things to talk about. I don't know if you agree with me on that because you think the chapter's dumb. I don't think the chapter's dumb. I think that the chapter is not got a lot to inspire discussion. Okay. Um, so I feel like it doesn't have a lot to talk about. I got a few sticking points, but, you know. Oh. Well, uh, we usually start out our podcast by um, creating summaries of the chapter by pulling sentences, five sentences, out of the chapter in order to create a summary of the events of the chapter. Summarizing. Summarizing what happens. So, Chris, will you go ahead and read your five-sentence summary first and yes. let us know what's going on? Uh, mine's basically a whole page. A lot of really long sentences in this chapter. All right. Uh, I feel like this is the longest chapter we've done in this book. It's uh, pretty, pretty lengthy. Anyway, uh, my sentences are as follows. They were lost. A moment later, the stranger came out from behind a tree, glanced all around as if it were afraid someone was watching, said, Hush, made signs to them to join it in the thicker bit of wood where it was standing, and then once more disappeared. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do, but the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. No one except Edmund felt any difficulty about trusting the beaver now, and everyone, including Edmund, was very glad to hear the word dinner. And now, said Mr. Beaver, pushing away his empty beer mug and pulling his cup of tea towards him, if you'll just wait till I've got my pipe lit up and going nicely, why, now we can get to business. Get down to business. Let's <sighs> get down to business to defeat... The witch. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna make that adjustment for you if you didn't, but yeah. thank you for getting there. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, um, so we have a couple sentences in common okay. in the same places as well. Mm -hmm. um, you included Aslan in your summary. I didn't, and I debated very heavily whether or not I was going to include Aslan. It's but I would have. We would have had three sentences in the same positions if Whoa. I had chosen to include Aslan. So I'll go ahead and read my summary, and then we can discuss what we have 
done to the chapter. Okay. And then, though nobody said it out loud, everyone suddenly realized the same fact that Edmund had whispered to Peter at the end of the last chapter. There's something moving in the trees over there to the left. At this moment, the beaver again popped its head from out behind the tree and beckoned earnestly to them. No one except Edmund felt any difficulty about trusting the beaver now, and everyone, including Edmund, was very glad to hear the word dinner. And now, said Mr. Beaver, pushing away his empty beer mug and pulling his cup of tea toward him, towards him, if you'll just wait till I've got my pipe lit up and going nicely, why, now we can get down to business. I don't think the word down is in there. What? I think it's now we can get to business. You check it. I'll double check here. Do some research. Double check. Uh-huh. It's the last beavers, sentence in the chapter. Beavers, beavers. Well, second to last. Yes. Now we can get to business. Oh, shush. Yeah. We're down is not there. Now we can get to business. Whatever, so I was wrong. Making sure we're quoting the book correctly. Yes, All right. but my song was better <laughs> with down. Anyway. Let's get to business. Doesn't work as well. I think uh, it's interesting that we both skipped over the same part of the chapter. Like, there's a good three or four pages before that last sentence at the end there that, like... We skipped over the fact <sighs> that Peter and the beaver went and got fish. Yeah, we have all They these... went fishing. The girls made potatoes. <laughs> Edmund did nothing at all. Um, yeah, there's, like, three or four pages in this chapter that are just, like, a description of, like, the beaver's hut and the dam and they go fishing and the dinner they have. And, and like, we, no, both of us did not include the fact that Edmund makes a nod towards the hills we did where not, the white no. witch lives. But now he knows where that is. But he knows that he's a little closer. Uh-huh. He feels like he's barely a mile off. Yeah. Um. <coughs> and also, uh, I skipped over the Aslan bits completely yeah um but yeah so what happens here we have the children wandering around the woods they were following a robin at the end of the last chapter robin's gone just oh! disappears when they were arguing uh well no 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 uh while peter and edmund were discussing the fact that they're lost uh lucy and susan say the bird just flew off so there was no arguing going on okay uh and then we and edmund has an i told you so moment yeah, he has a lot of those. He looks at Peter and just like, mm-hmm, <laughs> like I said. Uh-huh. So then we meet a beaver. Darts to and fro. Um, and the children have no reaction whatsoever when he talks to them. That upset me. That bothered me. Because it's like he says to them in a harsh voice, come further into the thicket, get closer. And then like... Yeah. There's no moment where any of the kids acknowledge that this is a literal beaver yeah, talking that's true. to them. I mean, Lucy is familiar with, like, the fawn and whatnot, and, I mean, but, which is, like, half human. So yeah. So I guess that makes kind of more sense. And we have, like, a like we can assume that Tumnus in the stories that he told to... Lucy included talking beasts as a concept, uh-huh. and she immediately like went to the bird and talked to it, and the yeah. bird was just like, um, okay, follow me, <laughs> but didn't say anything. Uh-huh. And so, I don't know, we just have this moment where like, Peter at least should be responding to talking beasts. You would think. Or Susan, you know, she'd be you know afraid of them or something. 
Yeah. She's very I... trepidatious again throughout this chapter. Yes, she is. Uh, being like, we should just go home, I think, is her first line in the chapter or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we meet a friendly beaver, at least a friendly beaver that we think is friendly, though we have a little debate about whether or not he is. Uh, is it a nice beaver? Who knows? We also have Edmund saying, like, uh, yo, how do we know that you're on our side to the beaver? And Peter jumping in and politing it up and uh-huh. being like, uh, not to be rude, but, you know, we're strangers here. Yeah. And so the beaver pulls out a, a token mm-hmm. to kind of prove that he is a friend. Yes. And it is Lucy's handkerchief that she left with Mr. Tumnus. Which I feel like doesn't necessarily prove anything. It doesn't prove anything <laughs> at all, except yeah. that he was around Mr. Tumnus after Lucy was there. Like He might have gone and robbed his house after he, he got arrested. He might have robbed his house after he got arrested. He might have been involved in having him be arrested and taking it off of his cold, dead body. <laughs> like, we have no idea how he got this, and we can't just assume... Yeah. That the beaver story is accurate, where the beaver's just like, yep, he got wind of the arrest coming and gave this to me and told me to meet you here. Yeah. Like, and how were they going to meet, how, it, meet you here? Like, they're just going to, like, wander over here? Like, are the <laughs> birds all tasked with leading the children to the beaver? Like. Yeah, there's a few plot holes here, I think. Uh, like, you know, if Tumnus had word of the arrest coming, why didn't he just run and take off somewhere? Like. They obviously found him at home, like, unless he, you know, had no intention of evading arrest and was like, yep, they got to take me. Like, if he knew it was coming enough to warn the beavers and the birds and set this whole plan in motion, maybe he could go stay with the beavers. Maybe he could, like, Yeah, but then he would endanger the beavers. (sighs) So. I mean, the kids are endangering the beavers just by being there, too, so. I mean, not if it's snowing, though. Apparently not (laughs) if it's snowing. All right. Uh, anyway. So we really still don't know if the beaver is trustworthy at all at this point. He's done nothing to prove his innocence. Uh, yes, but he said the word Aslan. Yes. We'll, we'll get there. Kristen, have you ever met a beaver? Have I ever met a beaver? No. Like, I was trying to think about it. I don't think I've ever seen a beaver in person. I have. It's like, I've never... There I've... was There's beavers at one of the zoos I've been to. Are there? I, I, at one of the zoos I've been to, there's beavers. Yeah. I'm like, I've never traveled through the Great White North where beavers are just a thing, and beavers aren't really typically a zoo critter. I'm uh, sure I've seen a dam built by beavers in a zoo. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, I've never seen one in person. I will like to point out, though, uh, this is a visual thing and nothing the, the listeners are really going to get unless you have this exact copy of the books. So if you have The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Scholastic uh, box set... Um, you can go to this chapter, A Day with the Beavers, and you can turn to page 72, and you can see the worst artwork of a beaver I've ever seen in my life. We're going to post this on the Twitter. It's a, it's of Mrs. Beaver a, at her sewing machine. Yes, it's of Mrs. Beaver, but, like, her tail is completely the wrong shape for a beaver. Like, <laughs> they have wide, flat tails, and she's got, like, this weird, scaly, like, it's thing. it's wide and it's flat. It's just being seen from head on. Yeah. Or from bottom on. I don't know. It it bothered me. Like she looks like some sort of weird cross between like a beaver and an armadillo and a ferret. Uh anyway. But we'll get to Mrs. Beaver later. Um so we have the beaver mention Aslan. Yes, Mr. Beaver mentions Aslan. This is the first time we've heard his name in this book. 
uh, as and as uh, according to this book, it's the first time we, the readers, have heard his name. Yes. So if we're reading these in the proper order, then we have no idea who Aslan is at this point or what Aslan is. And this book itself acknowledges that. Yes. Proof once again. Uh, but as we know, uh, as we're people in the know about who Aslan is, I want to talk about this line a little bit uh, because I guess I should just read it and have the book open to quote these things properly. Okay. Um, do, 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 do. They say Aslan is on the move, perhaps has already landed. So my first question is, where's Aslan coming from? I There's a couple of options as, like, he could, like, it, in this context where we don't know, we're probably going to assume he's coming by boat, boat across the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't know. I just feel like it's... There's also this idea of flying because we don't know at this point that Aslan's a lion unless we speak Turkish. Mm-hmm. And um, because Aslan is Turkish for lion. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Uh, <laughs> and so we we have to assume that he's either coming by ship or that he's flying. Uh-huh. Um, because landed really doesn't have a lot of other optional meanings. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it's just one of those two. What does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. They just know that he's coming. Like, where is he? Like, we have a, you know, we have a lot of questions at this line. Who is Aslan? Why is he landing? Where is he coming from? Where has he been? Like, you know, if if he's someone who can, like, you know, set things right in this part of the world, like the beavers seem seem to imply here, why has he been gone so long? Like, all these questions that we don't have answers to. Uh, but then I wanted to get, uh, really into the next segment, which is a whole paragraph about the responses that all the children have to hearing the name of Aslan. Yes. And I wanted to talk about that as well, specifically with the, um, well, go ahead. Tell us the responses. So I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's really long, but I will paraphrase. Uh, and it says all the children have various responses to hearing this name, even though they haven't the slightest idea who or what Aslan is. And, you know, the book says it's like, you know, sometime you see something in a dream and feels it has like some sort of enormous meaning or you see something in a dream and you feel like it has some sort of enormous meaning. You're not sure what it is. Uh, or it could be a nightmare or, you know, makes the dream so beautiful that you go through your life and you're wishing you can get into that dream again. And this very ethereal kind of sense of this word. And all the children respond to it differently. Uh, and the first one says, is Edmund. And Edmund feels a sensation of mysterious horror. Mm-hmm. Which we'll come back to that. Uh, Peter feels brave and adventurous. Susan feels as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. Uh and Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. So Lucy feels some sort of like excitement and freedom and huzzah, like it's joy. Hope. Susan feels like some sort of memory, I guess. Maybe her, her response is, you know, Aww. beauty. Aw, uh, beauty. Peter feels inspiration. I guess. Peter feels championed. Uh, Peter feels empowered. Uh, and then Edmund feels fear. Uh, and I think it's worth spending a little bit of time on uh, what this says about each of their characters. I think it is. I think it does too. And I also wanted to look at that list of responses 
and then look at their future titles because each of them gets a title when they become king and queen. What? And I wanted to see if there was a parallel. A couple of them kind of line up, a couple of them don't. Mm -hmm. So since there's four, we're going to say two of them do and two of them don't, maybe. So let's go through title. Let's let's spoil something for the readers here. Yeah, okay. So I have already made a joke in one of my hashtags on this chapter about one of the titles. We have Edmund, when he becomes king, is um, crowned as Edmund the Just. And I hashtag Edmund the Jerk when he was being mean to Lucy. Uh Um, I don't think anyone got it. I didn't get it. I know. But... um, (laughs) We have Edmund the Just, mm. Lucy the Valiant, Susan the Gentle, and Peter the Magnificent. Oof. Okay. So I feel like um, Susan's response mm-hmm. is very much in this like awe and um, kind of like music and gentle gentleness. Like I feel like it definitely like reflects her in this role of Susan the Gentle. Uh-huh. Um, I also feel like um, Edmund's response is very much like horror and fear and doubt. Uh-huh. And I feel like that is an intrinsic part of being just, that you have to have questions about everything mm-hmm. and challenge things. I don't know for sure if I fully go with that, but... And then... I was trying to lead you into the discussion when you were talking about Peter's response, and I said the word magnificent at that point. Mm-hmm. But Peter has that kind of response. Lucy, with her just like excitement and hope, I don't know how it kind of falls in with this idea of being valiant. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't feel like it's out of line with it. So I don't know. It was just what kind of jumped to mind when I started seeing each of their responses. I immediately went to their titles. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. Your thoughts? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a stretch with a couple of them. Like, you know, we don't really get Edmund the Just here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Valiant. I feel like, you know, Peter's and Susan's fit more appropriately. Um, but... Do you think that that's because they're older and they're more realized in who they are than the younger kids are? That's a possibility. They're, you know, they're more adulty <laughs> and set in their ways. Um... So yeah, I wanted to touch on Edmund uh, feeling a sense of mysterious horror here. Uh, it feels like really quickly Edmund has, you know, succumbed to whatever this corrupting influence of magic is in this world. I don't because, know. I don't know if it's a corrupting influence of magic. Because we have Edmund responding. We already having him being a jerk. Because I just yeah, Edmund responds the same way to Aslan as does Uncle Andrew, and magician's nephew. I guess and, that that's true. Yeah, and. I feel like, to I mean, there, but we have, also have a person who has done horrible things, like yeah. in order to feel power. Yeah, like you have Edmund as a bully. You have Edmund as someone who has mistreated people, who has made other people be out, out to be liars, in order to feel power and to feel strong and to whatever it is that has caused him to be this bully. Yeah, and then you have someone appealing to an authority figure, even an unknown one. Uh-huh. And Edmund is responding in fear. And that's a valid response for a bully to an unknown authority figure. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's a kind of a parallel between Edmund and Uncle Andrew here. Maybe, you know, in 20 years, Edmund will get real into Brandy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's like uh, a thing we encounter in the books. Um, so Peter's feeling 
more of, you know, himself. Uh, he's the one who's, like, the leader, and he's trying to be, you know, take charge and be everybody's dad. And I feel like this just enhances that kind of, and is, you know, brave and adventurous and is more like the take charge kind of guy. Yeah. Um, Lucy, I feel like it's also... Relaxing. Relaxing, yes, and also, like, feeling more, uh, of, like, core character traits that she already has. Yeah. Like, she, you know, she's, you know, excitable, and she's, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't say mischievous. Yeah. But is looking for fun and excitement and for adventure. Fun and excitement, adventure, truth. She's the one who's the more honest of all of the kids, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Sincerity. Sincerity. There you go. Valiance, apparently. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to touch on here? I think that was worth spending time on, but... Yeah, no, I mean, the, the responses there, I, I just... I think it's interesting that we put in terms of horror Edmund's mm-hmm. response. Yeah. So, I... Yeah, I don't, I don't know fully why, other than the fact that it is, like, this kind of authority thing mm-hmm. that I touched on already. Yeah. But I also think that it is... A little bit overstating the the response. Yeah. Like, it doesn't seem like a justified response. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I mean, Edmund is not in any way incorrect for, like, challenging the beaver, assuming that Aslan isn't, you know, like, necessarily the one we should follow, like, that we should actually question and get more information and explore all sides. And if there is a conflict, how do we know we're on the right side? Like, he's asking really good smart questions and the only evidence that he has on one side or the other is that there is a person who took lucy in gave Mm -hmm. her food made her warm got her safely home and also there is a person who took edmund in got him warm gave him food made sure that he had directions to get safely home yeah so from edmund's perspective the witch is his tumness Mm -hmm. and so there's not a lot of you know, reason for him to just assume anyone else is good in the same way that he's not necessarily going to assume that anyone yeah. else is, you know. So is, in this book, is Lewis, like, following the thread of, like, very early Christian anti-intellectualism where it's bad to ask questions about things? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, like, w- I would not say no. Like, which doubting is, is a bad character trait. Which is weird coming from him. Uh-huh. But I think um, I think that he's you he's not I don't think he's intentionally doing it in that way to mm-hmm. teach anyone that I think that he's doing that for a storytelling mode uh-huh. because as the voice of the narrator it's obvious that Tumnus is the good one it's obvious that the White Witch is the bad one uh-huh. and so he's made that clear to the audience and in order to make Edmund out to be someone who needs to be redeemed. We just have to assume that he's in the wrong from the beginning. Uh-huh. And it's an unfair assumption, especially in a situation in which he is the voice of reason. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's I, I don't like the fact that his reasonable, logical questions that are actually safe and protecting mm-hmm. of himself, much less his family. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's fair to the audience, to uh, especially to a young, impressionable child audience, to say that asking these kind of questions is wrong just yeah. because someone kept you warm and gave you food. Because that's <laughs> what happened to him. Uh-huh. Tumnus did 
for Lucy what the witch did for Edmund and there's a parallel there and both of them want to be true to the person who protected them. But one of them gave their ward uh, some toast and sardines and the other one gave theirs, you know, candies. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a stranger invites you into their home and gives you healthy foods. Yes, but also <laughs> gave her cake. Yeah. And the best tea she's ever had. Uh-huh. So, there you go. And, you know, try to put her to sleep. Yeah, and kidnap her. <laughs> the witch didn't try to kidnap him. No. Um, so we have these responses, uh, and we, you know, have more uh, introduction to the character of the beaver. We trust the beaver now, we think, except for Edmund. And the beaver invites them over for dinner. There's a lot, there's a, yet another instance of, you know, the third person anybody meets in Narnia is inviting them to their home to have food. Yes. Like, and now this <laughs> is the first time, first person in Narnia that Lucy and Peter have met. And is yeah. the person who... Susan. Susan, sorry. Lucy. <laughs> Susan. This is the first person in Narnia, the first speaking character uh-huh. in Narnia that Susan and Peter have met yes. and is taking them into the home, getting them warm, safe, and feeding them. Uh-huh. And so we now have Lucy's first impression of people here is Tumnus, caring for her, getting her home, saying the witch is bad. Yeah. Edmund's first experience, the witch saying she's the queen and taking care of his needs and sending him on his way. Yeah. And promising him things to take care of him and to give him authority and things like that. Uh-huh. And then you have Susan and Peter, whose first impression of people here is the beaver who's making a big show of protecting them and keeping them quiet and getting them to a safe place where they can talk yeah. and getting them food and getting them warm. Yeah. So, you know, if we wanted to go down the road again of, you know, reading this book where Narnia is this space like, you know, the the hallways in the House of Leaves. Okay. Uh, and kind of this space that is reflecting uh, of the minds and the desires of the people within it. I feel like it's interesting that the first meeting that everybody has in Narnia are with characters that reflect something of themselves. Okay, so you're saying Tumnus and Lucy are a parallel, the witch and Edmund are a parallel, and Mr. Beaver and... and Peter are a parallel, and Mrs. Beaver and Susan are a parallel. Yes. I don't disagree with that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's not even a little bit of a, of a coincidence that Peter is the one that goes and fishes with mm-hmm. Mr. Beaver, and Susan is the one washing up the potatoes for Mrs. Beaver. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. It's very much a parallel. I agree with you. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. I was really annoyed with this chapter for having nothing to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, they're very much parallels. Like, you know, Lucy comes in, and she has a sense of wonder and, you know, excitement and exploring, and she meets this magical critter who tells her stories yeah, uh, tells her story. about magic and, you know, gets her toast and makes her feel at home. Uh, and then you have Edmund who goes in and has a very different experience where, you know, there's somebody offering him power and offering him the chance to stand above his siblings and offering him, you know, mm-hmm. whatever he wants, the chance to be special. Yeah. And then Peter and Susan are meeting these characters who are more uh, domestic and more adult and mature and, you know, they don't, you know, they don't tell them magical stories. They just have this very simple yet satisfying life where they're being, you know, caregivers and providers and yeah, this kind of thing. So I think that's interesting. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely <laughs> agree. I think that there's a lot there and that we are going to follow these characters throughout the story in order to see what these characters continue to reflect in their child counterparts. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So that being said, let's let's go to the beaver hut because a lot of this chapter is us finding the dam and describing the dam and you know the hut and and on the way there, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Edmund notes the location of the hills where the white witch had told him that his her yeah. home was and that he should go there and take his siblings there. Yeah, which. If it's, like, less than a mile off, I would say the beavers are kind of dumb for continuing to have their home, like, right there. Seems like a, a poor place to, you know, run your base of operations out of if you're... I think he's just... I mean, mountains are much further away than they appear. Yeah. It's like they're in the witch's backyard, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we go to the dam. Mr. Beaver says it's merely a trifle, merely a trifle. You know, he's being very humble. Oh, but no. he is so proud of what he's created. He is so proud of it. He's real happy with that dam. You know, there's, we have frozen pools. We have this imagery of the frozen waterfall and the stream. Like, oh. there's lots of descriptions here, but, like, I don't feel like there's a lot to talk about, really. Yeah. I think um, the only one that stood out to me in all of, there were two descriptions that stood out to me. Uh-huh. One was the path to the door being unsafe for yeah. humans. Yeah. Um... That it was clearly, obviously, not built for humans, but that... Nothing here was. No, uh, yeah, nothing here was. Um, and then the other one that stood out to me was the description inside the house of the beds. Mm-hmm. That there was no beds. There were bunks, like, on board ship. Yeah. There were bunks, and it also says... No very, pictures. No pictures. There's no de- decor. Like, it's all very practical. Like, everything here has a purpose. There's no personal items that... Uh, the beavers have other than mrs beaver's rocking chair other than that and and mr beaver's bottle or keg of beer in the corner yeah this is great (laughs) so my thoughts on that were twofold uh number one that it's a reflection reflection of the more like practical and studious uh nature of the beaver and like and peter and susan yeah and like they you know they're hard-working animals and you know they're known as nonsense and they get crap done Unlike, you know, the fawn who's like this mystical wood nymph who, you know, goes and has parties with Bacchus and And makes music and has photos of and books about whether or not humans are real and the myth of man. Yeah. And he's got time for all this leisure, whereas the beavers don't. Uh, And also, on the other hand, it could just be it's symbolic of the beavers being kind of nomadic. Like they don't have really a permanent place that they live. Like Mm -hmm. they go and make different dams. They you know, move about. Uh, I think that's how beavers operate in the real world. I'm, I'm not an expert on the beaver. Yeah, I don't know. But, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they don't stay at the same dam their whole lives. Uh, they might. Maybe. If, if you any of you are beaver experts, please tweet at us and call us wrong. Wrong. Yeah, you know, we're big enough now that we have to have one person out there who's a beaver expert listening. <laughs> For sure. Um... Yeah, and we find this cute little hut that is undecorated but very snug uh, and very homey. We meet Mrs. Beaver, uh, who is apparently into sewing things. Yep. Like Practical. They got, it's practical they got, stuff. They got sewing machines in Narnia. That's a thing. Yeah. No. So it says something about the level of technology we have in this world. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pipes, beer, and sewing machines. Yeah. We're good. Yep. Uh, Mr. Beaver is something of a home brewer, there which you I go. appreciate. <laughs> um 
while while we get there, uh, I have a research minute. Um, Mr. Beaver or Mrs. Beaver pours Mr. Beaver a uh, you know giant mug of beer while he's out fishing, and I was curious about this, so I did a bit of research on how much beer it would take to get a beaver drunk. <laughs> <laughs> because I was kind of kind of curious here, and what I have is that for the average uh, male human who's, I just put in a weight of about 150 pounds, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of large man, uh, over the course of about two hours, so, you know, typical dinner, tea, whatnot, uh, would take about four beers to get you over the legal limit and legally inebriated. Okay. Um, the average beaver weighs anywhere in the neighborhood of 24 to 65 pounds. Like, mm-hmm. I was surprised by that because I didn't think they got that big. That, like, that's pretty big. Six, 65 pounds, that's like a pretty good-sized dog. I wasn't aware beavers were that size. Yeah. Again, never seen one in person. Um, so average weight of like 50 or so pounds. So over the course of a dinner, Mr. Beaver could probably pretty easily put away a pint or imperial pint and be fine. Mm-hmm. So they can drink more than I thought they could. <laughs> So basically, you just learned that beavers are bigger than you thought they were, and that's it. And, well, I'm trying to have a fun <laughs> research moment, okay? Because I, I thought it was going to be like a hobbit situation where he's like, it comes in pints. <laughs> yeah, I'm a whole half already. <laughs> but, but a pint would not be a problem for Mr. Beaver. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, the children had milk, though. Yep, <laughs> yeah. they had milk. I want to know yeah, where the milk came from. I want to know what kind of milk it is. That is curious. I didn't think to ask. Oh, I, I thought about it, I didn't think to really ask that. Like, if they said it's very creamy milk. So, I mean... I don't know. I mean, like, what are the beavers milking? We haven't seen a cow anywhere. No. But <laughs> what are the beavers milking in order to have milk? Uh, is it Mrs. Beaver? I don't... I, I don't <laughs> want to know, think... No. <laughs> All right. So, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we get into our uh, rewriting and rating? Um, not really. Other than the fact that I just really like Mr. Beaver as a character. Like, well, I figured you would. He's fun. He's like, let me down a beer and light up my pipe, and then we can talk business. Yep. Like, uh, let me go fishing real quick. You know, nothing in the world like eating the fish that just was alive thirty minutes ago. Yep. Which is the narrator's perspective, <laughs> yep. not Mr. Beaver's. Well, the children agree. Yes, the children agree. Uh-huh. All right. Which is kind of a kind of a weird line. It's just like a throwaway line. It's like nothing like eating something that was just alive. Yeah. That's that's that a that's a singular experience right there. <laughs> and but we finished. We have dinner. We we sup. We we have tea and we get down to business. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of where the chapter leaves us. We don't know what kind of business we're getting down to. I don't know if there's anything we want to say about what the children were doing while at the beaver hut. You said Edmund didn't do anything. I uh, mean, we but... don't really have any references to Edmund doing anything. So. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. So that's what happened. I feel like a lot of, you know, I'll, I'll get to my rating of the chapter later, but I feel like so much of it happened in the first half and like the last half of it's nice and descriptive and there's narrative, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Okay. Uh, we just learn a lot about the beavers who aren't really a thing in like the rest of the book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they are. They're characters throughout the rest of the book. Oh, are they? Yeah. I remember, remember. Well, Mr. Beaver is for sure. Might be remembering wrong. So right. that's Anyhow. why I said we'll follow these characters throughout the book and see how they parallel the children. 
Cool. So now that we're done with our discussion, the next section that we like to do is to take that same chapter we just read, pull out another five sentences in order to create a new story. So we're doing our chapter rewrite. Narnia Mm -hmm. chopped and screwed. Hashtag Um, Narnia Fusion Buffet. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're on that train now, (laughs) are you? No, still like Chopped and Screwed. Chop, okay. I just feel bad sometimes because I feel like I was the one that named the podcast. Uh-huh. And like, I'm naming the segments in it and I just feel like you need more creative input. Um, okay. So how about Narnia and a Blender? <laughs> um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and read my rewrite first because I think it's terrible and because I read my summary second. So here okay. we go. Mine is just a conversation. Yours is really short. Yep. Here we are, Mrs. Beaver, said Mr. Beaver. I've found them. They were lost. Let's go home, said Susan. We're not safe even here. There were no books or pictures, and instead of beds, there were bunks, like on board ship, built into the walls. That's all. Okay. I feel like you struggled with this one. I did. Uh Uh-huh. I have an alternate final sentence. Okay. Here we are, Mrs. Beaver, said Mr. Beaver. I found them. They were lost. Let's go home, said Susan. We're not safe even here. That's right, said Mr. Beaver. So just about the beavers encountering the uh, the children out there. No, it's just, you know. Finding them in the woods. Something. I don't know. No, okay. I, I don't know. It's just some people talking about being safe yeah. and lost. I don't know. I, I... I don't know. I... Okay. I didn't have patience for this one. There's a, yeah, there's this a, chapter was... There's a few good lines that I'm, I'm surprised you didn't capitalize on. One of them I used, but I'll go into my summary now. Or my... Rewrite. rewrite. They say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. And he thought about Turkish delight and about being a king. And I wonder how Peter will like that he asked himself, and horrible ideas came into his head. What is it? asked Lucy, trying very hard not to sound nervous. And then, though nobody said it out loud, everyone suddenly realized the same fact that Edmund had whispered to Peter at the end of the last chapter. That's a really good one. (laughs) That's a really good one. You've definitely capitalized on, and you've really emphasized kind of what's going on inside of Edmund which is all there present in the chapter, but Mm -hmm. it's mixed in with so many other discussions of the other children that it's disguised and camouflaged. Yeah. Which when we go into the next chapter, we're going to see that Edmund sneaks himself away Uh from the group. And this is very much like what's happening here is Edmund is very quietly presenting all of the reasons that they should be concerned about him, but they're all distracted. Yeah. And not noticing. Yeah. I don't know. My my idea was kind of different. It was just like, we are introduced to the concept of Aslan and we know nothing about him. And, you know, maybe we're right to be afraid. Yeah. Like, maybe maybe Aslan is, you know, something that we don't want to encounter or interact with. And Edmund is reacting to that mm-hmm. uh, in a very honest way. Anyway, I thought it was fun. Uh, thank you. So, if you guys want to... Share your own rewrite of the of the chapter as you're reading along with us. We still have yet to receive one of those. Really want to read some of those on the show, but send those to us. 
uh, and we'll give you some information at the at the top of the hour, <laughs> at the end of the show, uh, on how to do that. Um, so let's just go ahead and move into our last little bit here, where we review the chapter, and I give it a rating, <laughs> based on a five-star system. Out and of mugs of beer. Mugs of beer? Is that where we're going? I mean, or you can do cups of milk. Hmm. But where's the milk coming from? Or fishes. <sighs> fishes out of the hole. Fresh trout. Uh, let's go mugs of beer. Okay. Uh, That'll work. Thank you for giving me options for the past few weeks. I like, you know, this back and forth that we have. <laughs> the options. Anyway, um, so like I said earlier, I feel like a lot of this chapter happened in the first, like, half of it. You know, that makes sense. A lot of this chapter happened in the first half of the chapter. About half, actually. actually yeah, is how it works. right about That's half. That's how math tends to work out. Um, no, uh, it's like a lot of the plot happens in the first half and the bottom half we have this really long like scene where it's nice but nothing really happens and it reminds me very much of the uh, the chapters in the magician's nephew where we have the b plot with the animals trapping uncle andrew yeah and we talk about this whole thing that ultimately has no consequence to the rest of the story whatsoever yeah uh and it's just kind of filler and it feels like a little bit of filler here see but it's also uh, like we said paralleling that storyline of meeting someone who's meeting needs yeah and, and I feel like, each of the each of the characters has now had an experience like that in narnia yeah and i feel like I, i'm i shouldn't be judging it uh on these merits because it's children's literature first and foremost uh and the rules are different no they're well, not <laughs> children's literature should still be quality yeah, literature but like when you have the whole book which is let's see here 186 pages like, you're almost into, like, novella territory instead of, like, an actual book. And we ha when you have that much limited space, I feel like every line is important and everything needs to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And when you have two and three paragraphs that are just describing what the dam looks like, yeah, like, I feel like you're wasting page space that you could be using to develop something else. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine with lengthy descriptions in, like, a 600-page book because you've got, you know, room to pad things out. But when you're really cutting that down, I feel like you should be a bit punchier. So get back to us, Lewis. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, but I liked it. Uh, I like Mr. Beaver. He's the best character we've been introduced to in the book so far. Uh, might be the best character in the series so far who's not the cabbie. Uh, hmm. Like, the cabbie and Mr. Beaver, we could talk about parallels there. You know, they're real salt-of-the-earth people. They are. Um, and that's, I mean, that's your char your kind of character. Yeah. Uh, and I like those kind of folksy, down-homey types. Um, yeah, so overall, let's say, I don't know, three, three and a half pints of, three and a half pints of beer. That's fair. Which, I mean, as, as hurtful as it is to, like, leave a half pint unfinished, mm. you know? <laughs> you know? I don't want to go as low as three, but let's, let's go three and a half. Okay. But. I give it a frozen river. <laughs> frozen river yeah because there's a lot there there's a lot to discuss there's more than i expected yeah when i walked up to this chapter i thought it was going to be a boring discussion that we might get 20 minutes out of mm -hmm. and it was going to be our shortest episode yet but mm -hmm. there actually is a lot more into here some trout and things to catch <laughs> and cook up and eat so yep. yeah are you ever frozen river cool it doesn't live up to its uh initial appearance it's actually full of life hmm. that's very pretty yeah well, we're going to go catch some trout now. Uh, well, 
Let's do it. And you can follow our efforts to catch some trout at Chronically Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram or at Chronically Pod on Twitter, where you can tweet at us your fan art of Frozen Rivers, or you could also uh, tweet at us your, your sentence summaries or something. You could also email those to us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com, and we will talk more about them on the air. See you next week. Or, or yeah, or talk about them on the pod. On the pod. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>